And that is, is that the gospel is a work in progress in our lives. The gospel is a work in progress in our lives. And here's what I mean by that. Let me begin with a question. Who here has it all figured out? Look at that. No, no hands are raised. I'm kind of surprised by a few of you. But <laughs> you, you remember the, the people, perhaps they've said this to you, or perhaps you've said it this. Um, when I have kids, right, they won't ever watch TV. Right? When, when I have kids, uh, they won't run around with runny noses. When I have kids, um, it'll be easy. I'll just work from home, right? <laughs> when I have kids, I'll just tell them when it's time to go to sleep, and they'll go to sleep, right? Um, and, and perhaps you've been there, or perhaps when you started having kids, you had people that had never had kids or been around kids that had that advice. And, and it's very different once you're in that situation, isn't it? Just go and tell a two-year-old, it's time to go to sleep. I don't want to hear you and see what happens. The reality of it is, is that we all have a bit to learn. And this is true, especially as we think about spiritual matters. As we think about spiritual matters. Let me share with you um, this passage, this concept, not necessarily this passage, but this concept struck me very clearly at, at one point in life. And it's been a lesson that the Lord led me to and has been incredibly helpful for my life. And maybe you've learned the same lesson or maybe you need to learn it today. And, and so, so here it is. When I got saved, I radically got saved as a teenager. I, I, I radically went from a life that was against the Lord, a life where I, I desired the things of this world, to very quickly having my heart open to Jesus and wanting to follow him and wanting to be a Christian and wanting to do things that pleased him. And, and God grew me incredibly fast as a young man because of this. One of the things that, that I decided was I wanted to go to Christian school. I wanted to be around Christians. I hadn't really been around Christians my whole life. I wanted to be around Christians, and so I wanted to go to a Christian school. A whole lot of other stuff's going on. I actually don't live with my family because of um, because I've become in Christ, and they lived a very ungodly way. And it just so, so I'm living with another family. Their kids go to a Christian school. I said I want to go to the Christian school. I, I had a I had a landscaping business, and and basically the school gave me a discount, and I paid my way as a 15 year old to Christian school. Um, and, and I thought this is going to be the greatest thing ever. I'm going to be around Christians all the time. And I went to the Christian school, the Christian high school, and what I realized very quickly is that most of the kids at Christian high school, what it means is their parents are Christians. Not necessarily that the kids are. And so I remember, as a young man, 15, 16 years old, becoming incredibly frustrated with other Christians. I remember becoming incredibly judgmental of these other Christians. I, I remember that, that all of their flaws and all the things that they did just irritated me. How can you call yourself a Christian? Are you a Christian? That's another problem for But the reality of it is, is that, that, that I just, I, I, I turned so judgmental and so angry and, and just, just pointed at everybody. Like, why aren't you like me? Why haven't you done this? Why aren't you here? And I remember this, because I remember I became very bitter. And I was studying my Bible, 
And I came across Philippians 1.6. I mean, this is just, I, I remember exactly when this happened. I remember, I was just reading the Bible and I came across Philippians 1.6. This is what Philippians 1.6 says. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. The cross-reference for that was Hebrews 2.12, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter, or maybe you have it memorized as I did, the author and perfecter of your faith. And I remember at that moment just going, oh, Jesus is the one in charge of everybody. Jesus is the one who, who died for them. Jesus is the one who has brought them to salvation. Jesus, by, through the work of the Holy Spirit, is the one that's working this process, an act of sanctification. And, and everybody is on Jesus' path. And Jesus' path is unique for each individual because they have unique challenges, they have unique experiences, they have unique opportunities, they have unique gifts, and they're not all Bob. In fact, they're all, like me, a work in progress. And that was a big shock for me. Uh, some of you are like, were you an idiot? Probably. But here's the deal. I mean, I just remember that was a big shock. As, as I've grown in the Lord, I, I, can, I see things that, that I did when I was first saved. I'm like, oh, man, I'm, I'm so glad that, that YouTube didn't exist when I first started preaching. All right? Let, let me just say that. Like, sermons weren't recorded, and praise Jesus. These poor young guys today, they're never going to get over this. But the reality of it is, is I had a lot to learn. I still have a lot to learn. And we all do. And this is what the gospel does in our lives. The gospel not only comes to our lives to save us, but the gospel and our participation in the gospel and, and doing what God has called us to do and growing in Christ, we all are a work in progress. Nobody's got it all figured out. And that's the heart of what I want us to see as we look at this lesson today. I think it shows in a number of ways. We are all in process. We all come from different backgrounds, we all have different experiences, we all have different callings and giftings. And all of us should be able to look back, if we're, if we're in Christ, all of us should be able to look back and say, praise God, I'm not where I was, but oh my goodness, I have a long ways to go, don't I? And that's the work that, that God has in each of our lives. Look with me at this text. We're going to look at Acts 18. We're going to begin in verse 18 today, and we're going to read through 19, verse 7. It's a, it's a long passage, but, but follow along with me, and then we'll, we'll highlight out of this how I, how I see this coming to light. Verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer with them, then took leave of his brothers and set sail for Syria. So if you remember, Paul was in Corinth. He was afraid. He was having a hard time. He came there broke. He met Priscilla Aquila. Things started moving. The other disciples, the other missionaries came. They joined him. Jesus came to him. Paul's ready to go. He, he thinks it's about to end. And, 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 and Jesus comes to him with a vision saying, stay. Do not fear. I have many others in this town. And so he stays for a year and a half. That's the background leading up to this. Now he's ready to go. Days later, he took leave with the brothers, and he set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila. And at Sympathy, he cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And he came to Ephesus, and when he left them there, 
and he left them there, but he himself went to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews, and they asked him to stay longer, and he declined. But on the way, taking leave, he said to them, I will return to you if God wills, and he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and he greeted the church, and then he went down to Antioch. This is the end of the second missionary journey. He's on his way back. He goes back to the church at Antioch that had sent him out. So he's gone back. He's completed the second missionary journey. Verse 23, after spending some time there, he departed. So here's the start of the third missionary journey. After, some time, after spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all of the disciples. Verse 24. If you're, if you're watching a movie, scene change, right? Scene change. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he, was, he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ, the Christ was Jesus. Chapter 19. And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through and came to Ephesus. So they just crossed paths. Apollos was in Ephesus. He ends up going over to Corinth. Paul, on his third missionary journey, ends up now in Ephesus where Apollos was before. Are you with me? Verse, through the, through in the country he came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Verse 2, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came to them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. And that's where we're going to stop for today. What we see in this is we see a, a number of individuals at different stages in their Christian faith. A number of individuals at, at different stages in their Christian faith, and yet God is using each and every one of them in the different stage that they find themselves. That's what I want you to see. There's three main points that I want us to think about as we think about this text. The first is this. God's mission is our mandate. God's mission is our mandate. We often speak of missions in the church, right? Baptists are missions people. We want to carry out the Great Commission. We want to see the gospel go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. We want to, to go to all nations and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ that, that men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation 
would come to know and praise Jesus Christ. Amen? We love missions. We talk about missions. We sacrifice. We give to missions. Missionaries are our heroes. But sometimes we forget the end of missions is not missions. The mission, there is one mission, and it's God's mission. It's not our mission. It's God's mission. God's mission is just as he told Paul in Corinth that we looked at last week. I have many people in this place. God has many people who are scattered throughout the world who need the gospel to come to them. And God uses us to accomplish his mission. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? God has a mission. Missions is God's mission. But the mission that's given to us is to participate with that. That we, would, that we would go about and be on God's team for his mission. That whoever we are, wherever we are, that we would tell others and show others about Jesus Christ. That we would grow them up as disciples. The Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples. Baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. Go and proclaim the gospel. Go and build up disciples. Teach them to obey. And that commission wasn't just for the first generation or else the church would die in the first generation. And that commission isn't just for the people that led us to the Lord or the church will die after us. That is our commission and that is God's mission. And God's mission is our mandate, what we should be about. God does this in two ways. There's two things that we should be about. We see this here in this text, and we see this throughout the book of Acts. And the first is this. The mission for us is that we should preach the gospel. The mission for us is that we should, should testify and preach to the gospel. That we should, as Jesus says in Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. The Bible talks about it like this. We are ambassadors for Christ. God is making known to others his gloriousness through our communication, through our message. We see that demonstrated here. Paul, everywhere that he goes, he looks for an opportunity that he might share the gospel with someone else. Sometimes he strategically goes into certain cities. He makes his way to that place, and he strategically has a plan where he goes into the synagogue, and he tries to be received at the synagogue. If he's not received at the synagogue, he will look for God-fearing Jews, God, or God-fearing Gentiles, and try to go and talk to them. And if he can't talk to them, he'll go talk to anybody who he can. It, it leads them all over the place, doesn't it? Sometimes he's down by the river. Sometimes he's in the city. Sometimes he is in the Areopagus. He goes before common people, poor people, governors. He'll go wherever he can go if he can tell somebody about Jesus. And that's Paul's heartbeat. That's who he is. We talk a lot about people who have compulsive disorders today. Right? All kinds of, everything is a compulsive disorder today. This is what Paul says. He says, for I am under compulsion for woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9. It was his heartbeat. It was his calling. In 1 Corinthians, he also says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. That was a summary of Paul's life. He lived to make Jesus known. We should 
we know Jesus and want to be his followers, where we've received the mandate, we understand the commission that we've been given, part of our life should be, I want to make Jesus known. Here we see even uh, individuals, uh, Apollos, Apollos is, uh, is an individual who's introduced to our text here. He comes from Alexandria. He seems to be of great learning and great eloquence in speaking. He, he's an incredible preacher. Paul actually was a subpar preacher. If you look at the text, his, his eloquence, his way with words was not great. He says this about himself. Others say this about him as well. Apollos, though, man, he was, he was the preacher with the golden tongue. He was the one that, that he could preach and peel the paint off the walls. He was incredible. And he used that gifting, he used that opportunity to go and to give his life to the gospel, to go and to tell others about Christ. A major part of God's work for each of us has to involve the gospel going to others. A Christian who has no concern about others believing the gospel is a Christian that's in sin. Now, not all of us are gifted the same. Not all of us are called the same. Not all of us are given the same opportunities. But are we concerned about the gospel going to others? If we're going to be on God's mission, we must be. The, the second thing is this. God's mission is not just to make gospels, not or to make disciples. This is where the church has erred in the past before. We, we've sometimes sent missionaries places to, to have tons of converts, and then we leave them with nothing. You see, there's two sides of it. Make disciples, teach disciples. That's the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. And then verse 20, teach them to obey all that I've commanded. And that teaching, you've heard me say this before, that teaching shouldn't look like a university. It should look like a trade school. We don't just line people up and set them in rows and teach them facts without knowing how to apply it. It is hands-on, down and dirty, getting greasy. Right? That's what Jesus did. The model for teaching is Jesus. Jesus took 12 guys who did not have it all together. He taught them. He loved on them. He was graceful to them. He showed them what to do. He gave them little opportunities to do a bit of it. They, they did more and more. They'd go out by two by two, right? They'd come back. Jesus would analyze what he did with them. He'd show them how to go. And eventually, Jesus released them to go and do what he had taught him to do. That's what it means when he says go and make disciples. The disciples knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. The disciples knew where to go do like Jesus did to us. And that's what they did. And that's what we're to do. We should all be about strengthening the church. We see this again. Paul in verse uh, 18, 23. The reason he goes on that third missionary journey. He wants to go, it says in verse 23, and strengthen the disciples. They've come to Jesus now they need to learn how to, teach, how, to, how to obey all that Jesus had commanded. And so he's going to go back and he's going to strengthen them in the faith, encourage them in the Lord, and help them that God might work in them and sanctify them. Apollos, they not only, he not only preached the gospel, but in verse 27 it says, He helped greatly those who had believed through grace. He wasn't just an evangelist that came and went. He preached, God, he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then he helped people to understand how that applies to their lives, to teach to them the whole counsel of God's word. Priscilla and Aquila, we see this here. They come, to, they come to Apollos. They realize pretty quickly that he is a faithful man. He's a good guy, but he doesn't understand everything yet. And they take him aside, 
and they share with him about the, the about Jesus' fulfillment, about the baptism of Jesus, and about the reception of the Holy Spirit. They fill in the gaps that he didn't have. They help him to grow in grace. They help him uh, that, that he might grow, that he might be strengthened. And this is the work of the church. This is the work for all of us. Babies are cute. We all like babies. But babies got to grow up. Right? They, they, they've got to grow up. We change diapers for way too long in our life. Mostly Krista. I'll give you that credit. But we did a whole lot of diaper change. We're glad those babies grew up, aren't we, baby? Same is true with us. The reality of it is, is that as a believer, you don't necessarily grow up on the same timeline that a baby does. It's not biological. You grow by your exposure to the things of God, by your obedience to God, and you grow by your willingness and your commitment in joining God in God's things that he might teach you and he might grow you. What we're talking about is spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. How does that happen in our lives? The fancy word is sanctification. How does Jesus make us more like Jesus? Ultimately, we're going to go to heaven, and it's going to be good. It's going to be complete, and it's going to be fulfilled. But until you get to heaven, you're still a work in progress. And let me tell you something. If you're a believer, God's plan is for you to be sanctified. God's plan is for you to mature. And you can participate in that. Regeneration, adoption justification. Those are biblical concepts that Jesus does for us. We do not earn them. They don't come because of things that we do. Jesus saves. Amen? But our growth and our sanctification is something that God works in our life and we cooperate with and we can cause that to hinder or we can cause that to excel. Are you with me? And if you are in Christ, God's desire is that you would become spiritually mature. In the end, God is going to make sure it's all worked out. It's going to happen. But let me tell you something. You can, you can work and, and, and you can make an effort to grow in Christ, to be obedient, to read the word, to spend time in prayer, to do the things that, that God has commanded you to do. And you will see incredible growth in your life. But you can also resist it and be lazy, and God's going to make you grow the hard ways through difficulty that comes in your life when you have to just turn to him. You have nothing else. That's what we see here. We see this growth. We see this spiritual maturity. Now, of course, some are called and gifted to be pastors. They're called to, to preach. They're called to, to lead, right? Ephesians chapter 4, God gives the gift of, of pastor-teacher for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. And not everybody's called to that, but everybody is called to the mandate to be a disciple that makes disciples. And God gifts everyone in the church with spiritual gifts that they might be able to use that and do that. God puts in your life others that you might Share the gospel with them and you might seek to see them grow in the gospel and strengthen them. All of us are called to do that. Now, the reality of it is, is somebody goes, well, 
that's nice, but I don't have it all figured out. I can't do that. God can't use me. Second point. God's mission uses maturing ministers. Lots of M's there. I was kind of proud of that. God's mission uses maturing ministers. What we see in this text is nobody has it figured out. Paul, towards the end of his life, after 25 years of being a believer and a minister, and the, the, the evangelist to the Gentiles, Paul in Philippians says this, Not that I have already obtained or have become perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold for which I also laid hold of by Jesus Christ. I am still a work in progress. Okay? I, I was ordained as a pastor in 1999 as a very young man again thank god those recordings aren't still around i did not have it all figured out i was so i was like apollos in many ways there were so many things that i had learned and been taught that were my pastor's opinion and not the bible's that i had a rude awakening later in life as i began to grow and minister and study the word of god i've been fortunate and god has allowed me to study at very fine uh, in theological institutions and, and, and be able to get all kinds of uh, letters behind my name. But the reality of it is, is I want to tell you, even with a doctorate, there's things that Dr. R.L. Wilson II still learns in the Bible. There are experiences where I still go, oh, a lot of them. I'm just good at hiding it so you don't know sometimes. We're not there. We're all a work in progress. I don't want you to think and say, you know, I just can't, I just can't go out and, and do things. I just can't minister. I can't, I can't teach the gospel to someone because I won't know all the answers to the question. Yeah, I don't know all the answers to the questions. I know the answer, though. It's Jesus. And sometimes there's times that I talk with individuals and they'll ask a really hard question about faith or, or the Bible or something else. And, and I have this wonderful, polished response that always works. I don't know. Let me think about it. And I'll come back to you. It's okay. We're not going to know. Don't resist being obedient to the Lord. Don't resist being on God's mission. Don't resist seeing yourself as one who is to live, to, 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 to proclaim the word, to proclaim the gospel to others, that they would come to Christ, to, to strengthen others in the Lord because you think, I don't have it all figured out. I won't know what to say. Good grief, if we all thought that, the gospel would die in this generation. But God uses maturing believers. Let me show you. Just in these verses. Let's think about Paul. Again, last week we talked about Paul in Corinth. He was afraid. He was so much afraid that in verse 9 of chapter 18, uh, Jesus sends him a vision and says, Do not be afraid. Why did Jesus have to say, Do not be afraid? Because Paul was Afraid. Look at you guys. You're good with logic. But go on speaking. Do not be silent. What was Paul's temptation? He was going to be silent. And God strengthens him. The great evangelist. The great Paul. And yet he still was a work in progress. In this text today, we have this very odd, they don't explain it all the way, but Paul was under a vow and he went and cut his hair. All right? There's a whole, you want a PhD? 
You can get one just writing about this topic because there's a whole list of things about it. We don't know exactly what it is. I think probably the best answer is Paul was raised in a Jewish context that was very superstitious. The Jews of that day were very superstitious. They would take vows about everything and everything. Anything and everything. And the idea here is that, that, that Paul, he didn't sin. The Bible doesn't say he didn't sin. But he, but he probably, have you ever met one of those persons that like everything they say, I swear to God, I swear to God, I swear on my mother's grave, I, I swear on this, I swear on this. There are some people who actually make vows. God, if you do this, I promise I'll never do this, right? A lot of, a lot of uh, teenagers in high school during math tests make a lot of vows, right? <laughs> right? Before the ACTs, God, if you please, just study beforehand and then you don't have to make a vow, okay? The, the, most commentators look at this and say, but he probably did something that wasn't sinful, but was somewhat immature, Somewhat part of his growth process. And, and here's why. It seems as though the vow that he took, which is a vow that a lot of people would take, is they would take a temporary Nazarite vow during this day. You remember John the Baptist was a Nazarite? You couldn't touch dead things. You couldn't drink the fruit of the, wine, the vine. And you couldn't uh, cut your hair. Right? Who was the most famous Nazarite from birth in the Bible? Samson, right? He Gave his strength away when he told Delilah, you can't cut my hair. They cut his hair. He's no longer strong. Anyways, the idea is that Paul took this vow. If Paul was under the vow of a Nazarite, he couldn't even take the Lord's Supper. Now, I don't know that it's sin. I mean, this is, this is me looking at it, just trying to reason with what others have done in the past. But the reality of it is, is the Bible comes very firm later as the New Testament goes on about not taking frivolous vows. Let your yes be yes and your no be no we know these verses we don't need to to take and to swear at everything or to swear on on your mother or the grave or this or that or that no let your yes be yes yes let your no be no but we see throughout this and we see in many ways paul himself is a work in progress we see priscilla and aquila the first time we're introduced into them in last text we don't know if they're believers or if they're not Paul needed a job. He ended up with them. They were all tent makers. They come to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and here's the thing. They were kicked out of, they were kicked out of Rome. They, they come there to Corinth. And now they are on fire for Jesus. They're following Paul as he goes to Ephesus. They stay there and they minister. They, they end up going to Apollos, the, the preacher with the golden tongue. And correcting him because they have learned so much in Jesus Christ. And so you see this. You see, they're a work in progress and God uses them. We see Apollos, again, very interesting. Apollos, this, this great articulate preacher. He, he's, he's, in verse 25 it says that he's teaching accurately the things of Jesus. But... He'd only been equated with the baptism of John. He'd only, been, he'd only been baptized with the baptism of John, awaiting for Christ to come. He's teaching that Jesus came. But he's teaching that Jesus rose again. But he doesn't understand what happened in Acts chapter 1, that Jesus had ascended. And when Jesus had ascended, that the Holy Spirit had come and it had empowered the church. And so he's not teaching everything about the gospel yet because he doesn't understand it. He knows only what he knows to that point. Priscilla and Aquila hear him teaching, and they come to him and say, Hey, bud, 
let's go to let's grab some coffee <laughs> right and, and there's great humility in him i mean this is someone who is well received who's having great ministry and he hears the fullness of the gospel and and he's humble when I mean, you want to talk about going around to eat and crow i mean your first thought is oh man i've got to go correct a lot of people for things that i said right we see him. We see, we see these disciples in Ephesus. They had come under the preaching of, of Apollos. They understood some of the gospel. But they didn't understand all of the gospel. Paul comes and he shares with them about the resurrection of Jesus, uh, or, uh, about Jesus leaving, about the Holy Spirit coming down, about the things that have happened, and they receive him. They didn't, they didn't come to Paul and go, you know what, uh, you're really not that great of a speaker. And we really like Apollos. In fact, in, in, in the, the, they would complain. Paul addresses this in Corinthians because some would say, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos. You remember this verse? And, and Paul says, uh, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the harvest. Because that was a real issue that they had between Paul and Apollos, these two early ministers of the gospel here to the Gentiles. And yet these individuals, they, they had heard uh, Apollos they had heard his message. Paul comes and, and they are, they're, they're beholden not to a personality, but to the word of God. And as Paul reasons from the scriptures, the things that happened, that, that the Holy Spirit's going to come, I'm assuming using prophecies like Joel that, happened, that, that, that are prophesied on the day of Pentecost, then they realize there's more to it. We need to be baptized as believers in Jesus Christ in Christian baptism. They were humble enough to realize they hadn't heard it all, even though they heard it from a really, really good preacher. I, I just want to warn you, this is a side note, but there's a lot of really good preachers that have the golden tongue out there today. And they preach way better than your pastor here in Titusville. And they're preaching garbage. It's not about the ability. It's not about the preacher. It's about the message the word of God. Always, whether it's for me or someone else, always your standard and what you look for is are we following what the word says? It's about the word, not about the messenger. So we see there in Ephesus in chapter 9, they come and they do that. Here's the secret. Nobody has it all figured out. Don't say, God can't use me. I, I really don't want to put myself out there. I don't want to do this because we, I, I don't have it all figured out. I'm not at that place. I, I, I'm not able to explain the gospel like my pastor does. Don't do that. If you do that, you're sidelining yourself. When God wants you on his team, active, in the field, you're sitting on the sidelines going, oh, my ankle, my ankle. Right? You ever played with that guy? He gets scared in a game and like all of a sudden he hurts all the time. We all are gifted and called and given opportunities. That we be about the mission of God. That we be about the mandate of the mission. And here's, here's the, one of the greatest insights into this. The third point, and this will be fast, I promise. God's mission matures his ministers. One of the greatest ways that God will bring maturity in your life. One of the greatest ways that you will build confidence in the Lord, that you will build confidence in your ability in the Lord, that you will spiritually grow, is when you 
decide to overcome the hang-ups that you have, the inadequacies that you feel, and you say, you know what, I'm going to serve you. I'm, I'm going to do this. And, and what you will find is that in those moments, in those places, when, when you feel the sense of the Lord calling you to something, to go and to speak to somebody, to minister to somebody, to be on some kind of ministry team, to do something, and you go and you do that, perhaps a, a mission trip or something like that, those moments are, are moments that exponentially grow you like nothing else. Like nothing else. Springtime, I don't know, it's spring, summer already, right? Anybody growing a garden? Right? There's certain environments that when you put those seeds in and pop, man, they go off. That's what it's like in your spiritual life. When you dedicate yourself and say, I'm going to follow the Lord. I, 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 I sense this area and this gifting and I want to follow him. You will see God work exponentially in you, in your spiritual growth in those moments. Let me end the message with three questions to, to bring this home for us. One, are you seeking to proclaim the gospel to the lost? We've all seen that's part of the mission, the mandate for every one of us that are in Christ. Are, are you seeking to do that? And, and you think, well, I'm not really gifted in evangelism. I don't know that I am either. It's not my strongest gifting. But I know that I'm to share the gospel message with others. Uh, I know that I'm to pray regularly for, for people who don't know Christ. Are you doing that? Do you have one person who you know that's in your life that you're praying for that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ? Or that you're praying and asking God for an opportunity to have a, a, a spiritual conversation with them that might lead to a gospel conversation? That you can just simply share with them the message about, about God and who he is, about man and his sinfulness, and, and, and about, about Christ who who God sent it as his son to redeem man because of our sin and about response that you need to trust in Jesus that you might be saved. Are, are you ready to, to share your testimony about what God's done in your life when you believed in the gospel? Are you looking for those things? Are you ready? Can you, can you do that? We all should be. We all have a, a story to tell, a story of what God's done in our life. And a story of what God, through Christ, has made available to any who would come to faith in Christ. And to simply explain to them how they might be saved as well. Are you seeking to strengthen the church? It's not just being a pastor. Are you seeking to use your, uh, your experiences, to use your gifts, to use your calling, to use your opportunities... To strengthen the body, to strengthen an individual, to, to help with the ministry. That's why God has called us together. That we all might be engaged in, in the work of the ministry. That, that we might strengthen one another. That we might build up one another. And we might be able to be together to use a resource that we can independently and together corporately go and share the gospel and make Jesus known. And third, are you in process in your Christian walk? Are you seeking to grow in Christ? Do you realize your need to grow? Are you deliberately doing things in your life? Are you disciplining yourself to every day look to God's word? To, to pray regularly? To pray deeply? 
to minister to others, to, 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 to listen to them, to help them? Or are you seeking to grow in Christ? Does it bother you? Do you want to grow? We can do these things in our lives. You, you, you can't. Growing in Christ isn't like growing as a baby. It doesn't just naturally happen. You don't just naturally go through the biological processes and puberty and all of this, whether you want to or not. Growing in Christ is us seeking to grow in him, to know him more, to follow him more. But remember this. Be patient with me, and I'll be patient with you. We're all a work in progress. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is, is the one who has called us together. He's the one that has the plan. He's the one that knows what he wants for you, how you're going to get there, and what's going to happen to do it. And so I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters. I want to strengthen you, brothers and sisters. I want to proclaim the gospel to you over and over again that you might endure with faith no matter where you're at and what's going on. But the reality of it is, is we're all a work in progress, aren't we? So where are you today? As we close, where are you today? Perhaps you're at the initial point and you say, I want to trust Christ as my Savior. I know that, that I need to commit. I might have believed in the gospel, but today I, I want to profess Christ. Perhaps you're at the point where, where you say, I need to come in baptism. Maybe you were baptized in the past in a way that you didn't understand it, like those believers were, that they, they were baptized only in John's gospel. They didn't really understand what it meant to be baptized. And now you've come to a point where you say, I was baptized as an infant, and I didn't even know what was going on. Or I was baptized as a kid, and I really don't think I was a believer, but now I'm a believer, and I need to be baptized. Maybe that's your next step and what you need to do. Would you express that? Come and tell me. I'd love to talk with you about that and what that means, and we can set that up. You could follow Christ in baptism. Perhaps it's joining the church in membership. Perhaps it's ministering in a way that you know that the Lord has called you to, and you need to get plugged in and do that. Whatever it is as we close today, will you take that next step? Will you seek to grow in Christ that he might use you and, and grow you and work in your life? Let's pray. Father. Thank you.